0: i title of the message today, The Prophet and the Prince. The Prophet and the Prince. Say that with me, The Prophet and the Prince. I want to go back to the story of Elijah. I think there's some parallels to the time. Well, I know there's some parallels to the time that we're living in. And I want us to look back into the Word of God. Many, many years ago now, we're going to a place at the time was called the Northern Kingdom. We've been there to this part of northern part of what we call Israel now, but it was the northern kingdom. And we had a man of God that stepped up on the scene. Elijah, we speak of. Elijah's entrance into the scripture is just like you think it would be. It parallels his personality. It's abrupt, it's dramatic. Elijah coming on the scene is like a, it's like a sudden, unexpected thunderbolt. You ever had that happen? A thunderbolt and you just you jump, you weren't expecting it. That's kind of how it is with Elijah coming on the scene. And he suddenly appears and the prophet speaks to the prince. He speaks to the king. And he's talking about something that a lot of people have been talking about today. And that's the weather. We've been talking about the weather. You know, it's been in, in Texas. It said if you if you uh, wait a little while, it'll change in an hour or so. Recently, we had some weather situations happen. We had, a, I, I call it the snowstorm of the century. I can't remember ever having a snowstorm like that. I mean, we had one about six or seven years ago. It wasn't that, though. We've been talking about the weather. In Elijah's day, they were talking about the weather. But they weren't talking about a snowstorm. They were talking about a drought. A drought that would last some three and a half years. And it was a a drought that the Lord had brought upon the sinful nation. He was trying to turn them back to himself. He was speaking to them. Today in this message, we're going to look at the prophet again. We're going to go a little deeper. There's some things that we want to say a little more about the prophet Elijah. But we're also going to look briefly at the prince. We're going to look at Ahab a little deeper. We're also going to look at the kings of the northern Israel. And we're going to end this message with, I trust, some pra- some principles that the Lord will speak to us from this. But here we are. We'll read as, as, as I... As is my custom, we'll read passages as we roll through this message. This message will be full of the word of God, I I trust. But we begin with 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, what do we have here? We have the prophet speaking to the prince. Here's what he says. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be due nor reign these years except at my word. What a powerful prophet of the Lord. And we ask the Lord for his help today. As we learn about the Lord today, as we learn about his principles, even from the Old Testament, all scripture, right? Not just New Testament, but Old Testament also. And we ask God's blessing. Let's go quickly to the prophet. The prophet's name is Elijah. Eli sits here, but Ja. <laughs> You're just Eli. He's Elijah. I don't know if you've studied your name, but I'm going to teach you. I'm sure you have. Amen. Have you studied Elijah's name? Do You want to come up here and teach it? No, you don't. Okay, all right. <laughs> I wouldn't really do that to you, son. I don't know if you heard that. He said, thank you. But you know, the Lord says be instant in season, out of season, so I don't know. What's his name? His name is Elijah. Say, Elijah. Elijah. Elijah's name is a combination of two things. And even his name is prophetic. The E-L, Eli, E-L comes from the name Elohim. It's really what we call the generic name of God. It's used over 2,500 times in Scripture. Elijah, the Jah, comes from the name Jehovah. Yahweh used over 5,000 times in the scripture. Remember that Moses said this. The Lord said to Moses, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, of of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Elijah's name, the combination of his name, means, as we've said last week, Jehovah is God. Everyone say that. Jehovah is God's. It's interesting the name Joel, Joel, the, the minor prophet that wrote his little book, the name Joel means the same thing, but it's, it's opposite. He, Joel's name, the, the J-O means Jehovah, the A-L is Elohim, but it means the same thing. Jehovah is God, just said in a different way. Elijah's name is Prophetic. Elijah's name, the prophet. We'll talk about the prince. Let's talk about the prophet. His name is really, there's a lot of meaning in his name. We really don't know much about Elijah. It's a very strange, he's a very strange man. He, doesn't, he has no genealogy. We don't know very much about him. As I'll say in a moment, his, even the town that it says he's from, we have no information about it. Remember what I told you? Prophets are not elected by men. Prophets are called by God, chosen by God, sent by God, and they speak for God. And Elijah fits that prophetic mold. The name Elijah. The name Elijah tells us three things. Referring to his day, but it really relates to our day, does it not? One of the things that Elijah's name tells us first is this. Elijah's name addresses the problem of his day it addresses the spiritual issue that was spiritually eating the heart out of the northern kingdom the conflict it hit, you know there's many conflicts in our day and but really it's the same old conflict not different it's just they, just, they give it different names they give it, it has different faces but it's the same thing since Genesis chapter 3. And so what Elijah is dealing with in the conflict of this day was simply this. We find it on Carmel, don't we not? If God is God, let let serve him. If Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. That was the issue of the day. And Elijah's name and Elijah's ministry emphatically said, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God and to, listen and to say that in Elijah's day was offensive to say that Jehovah is God Jehovah is the only God was offensive in his day so i ask you a question are you ashamed of the gospel are we going to be a church that's ashamed Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because just as it was offensive to say his name, Elijah, Jehovah's God. It was offensive to say that. It's offensive today to say Jesus Christ is the only savior of the world. That's offensive to most of our nation today. His name, Elijah, is prophetically addressing what the nation needed. It addressed the problem. What was the problem? The problem was apostasy. The problem was idolatry. Idolatry is the most hateful thing to God. God will share his throne with no one. Even Jesus said, "You, you can serve God or you can serve mammon, but you can't serve both at one time. They both demand loyalty. The Lord will not share your heart with anyone. So he addresses the problem of the day. The second thing his name speaks to us is this, is that his name really has New Testament ramifications. You say, what do you mean? His name speaks of none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is this, who do you think that Jehovah was that his name represented? Jehovah is God. Who do you think that is? That is none other than Jesus Christ. Understand, who we proclaim who Jesus is. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Come on. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of, a new, of the New Testament. New Testament ramifications. What the name of Elijah does, it speaks of the deity of our God, Jesus Listen to what Isaiah said. Even I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And besides me there is no Savior. And then 2,000 years ago, Luke records this. For there is born to you in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ? The Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So his name, Elijah, says Jehovah is God. That's equivalent to us when we tell people Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And no, there's no other name. There's, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess him. So Elijah's name spoke of the deity of Christ. And when we say we believe Christ is Lord, we're doing the same thing. The deity, know this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. Jesus is God, God our Savior. What Elijah's name does, in a sense, in a veiled way, but it proclaims our gospel, does it not? Elijah's name proclaims the gospel. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And then our Romans says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Greek, Elijah's name is saying to the nation, there's only one one that can save us, northern Israel, the northern kingdom. There's only one that can save us, Ahab, and that's Jehovah God. Look what, Look what Baal has gotten us. Baal got us a drought. Baal got us bondage. But Jehovah can give us a new exodus. And I declare that over our nation today, Jesus could save this nation. Jesus can deliver this nation. He's still the only Savior of the world. Thirdly, his name, the name Elijah, Jehovah's God. It speaks of something that I want to stay on for just a moment here. And that is this. It speaks of his parents. Someone gave him the name Elijah. It was his mom and dad. I, we know nothing about his mother and father. They weren't, they're not mentioned. We don't, we, the, 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 we, we don't know who they are. We have no biographical information. But yet we have the name Elijah, which to me speaks volumes of the kind of home that he was raised in. Here's the reason why. Because Elijah's name, to me, is a testimony of his home life. And it's a testimony of how his mother and father raised him. Let's look at the testimony. What kind of testimony is it? What kind of testimony does someone, you know, naming their child, this boy, Elijah, What does it tell us? Four things. Number one, it tells me that his mom and dad were courageous. This is a courageous thing, as you'll see a little more as we go along, because in that day of almost complete apostasy of the northern kingdom, and that's where Elijah grew up, he didn't grow up in Judah. He didn't grow up around around Jerusalem. He didn't grow up around a godly atmosphere. One of the most ungodly apostasy times in northern Israel, that's when Elijah grew up. And yet in the middle of that, here's a mom and dad that had courage. We're going to name our boy Jehovah's God. We're going to name our boy that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save or will save or ever will save. Jesus Christ is our Lord, our Savior, our Master. That's what we're naming our God. In the midst of wickedness, what a courageous testimony that in the face of Baal worship, there's a mom and dad that say, we're naming our boy Elijah. It would almost be like this. On the trends of people skipping church and the trends of people just completely getting out of church. It would be like Mr. and Ms. Mom and Dad, Elijah and Mom and Dad saying, we're going because this is what God has said. We're putting God first. I don't care what the trends are. I don't care if all your little friends are serving Baal. I don't care if all your friends are skipping out of church. We're going to worship our God. To me it sounds very similar. To what Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They had the courage to not follow the popular trends of the day. Jehovah worship was completely unpopular, especially in the northern kingdom. Baal worship was the popular thing of the day. Everyone was doing it. How many of you tell them, well, mom and dad, everyone's doing it, not us. We have the courage to serve Jehovah. And serve him alone. What a courageous set of parents. The second thing I see in these parents naming them Elijah, him Elijah, is this was not only courageous, but it was a consistent, continuous testimony. Because their fa- after, their, after his mom and dad are gone, as long as Elijah is alive... The world has a testimony that Jehovah Jesus is God. Their faith lived on in Elijah. It's really a mirror of his home life. Now I want to just tell you this. You don't grow a prophet, not like this prophet. You don't grow a young man like this into a mighty prophet of God in a a prayerless home, in a godless home, in a compromising home, in a worldly home. In a home where we worship God and Baal. You don't grow a prophet like that. You grow a prophet like Elijah in a faithful home. In a prayerful home. Where the word of God is read. Where holiness is a part of that. Don't you imagine the, the, the illustration every day that Elijah had growing up as a little boy. Seeing his mom and dad serving continually and faithfully. Serving Jehovah God. My question to us. It's what are we passing on to our children. May our children carry our faith to succeeding generations. If we ever needed to repair the home in America, it's now. Home is ripped to shreds. Marriages ripped to shreds. We're full of compromise in that area. Remember Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance, your genuine faith which was in you, It's in you, Timothy, first dwelt in your grandmother. It was also in, this faith was in Eunice, your mother, and I'm persuaded it is also in you. Here's what Paul said to the Ephesians. And by the way, about to enter into the warfare passage in Ephesians, but right preceding that, he said this in 6 and 4 of Ephesians, As you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, But bring them up. Notice in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The training and the admonition of the Lord. Admonition means this cautionary advice. It also means, especially, advice about danger or other things that are unpleasant. We need to have real talk with our kids about sin. We need to talk with our kids about this ridiculous transgenderism, homosexual, uh, pornography, drugs. We need to have real, straight admonition about our kids that this will destroy your life and will destroy your eternity. We need some real talk. And not only was it a continuous testimony, they were faithful parents, but also it was correct. What do you, what do you mean? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Father and Mother Elijah, I don't know their last name, Mr. and Mrs. Dishbite, I don't know. Huh? They had correct theology. You say, well, you, correct theology, what do you mean? They believed that Jehovah was God, God alone, one true God. They did not believe Baal was God. Correct theology. Come on, shout amen. amen. Once again, Timothy says, but you continue in the things which you've learned, and you've been assured of, knowing that from a, knowing that you have, knowing, from whom you have learned them, that from childhood, that from childhood, these boys and girls are learning about salvation this morning. Missy's doing the lesson, salvation. From a child, from childhood, you have known. The holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Our children, certainly age appropriate, but our children need good doctrine. They do not need to become to just come to church to be entertained. Okay, they need to learn the doctrines of God's word. Listen, the word of God, sound doctrine. Means a faithful, godly life. Unsound doctrine means a worldly life, carnal life. They need the doctrine of God. We don't know God. Very few people really know God. We have, we, have, we have made an American God, which is not the true God. It's an idol. We have, we have made up this God, and preachers have promoted it. This God who just wants to give us a successful American life. No, he does not. He comes to kill that life and give us life in his kingdom in eternity. Amen. This world is your enemy. It's not your friend. God is a holy God. We need to have the fear of the Lord. People talk about God in such coarse and and, and shallow ways. Do you realize that the Bible says in New Testament that He is a consuming fire of whom we'll give an account to. We need to teach our children who this God is. They need to know about sin. They need to know how deadly sin is. Sin is what's killed the northern kingdom. It never recovered. It's killing our nation. They need to know about salvation in Christ alone and what salvation really is and how it's promoted in Scripture. Not this, come down to the altar and mumble this prayer after the preacher, and you leave, and there's no life there. There's no change there. Listen, when they crossed the Red Sea, there was a great miracle. Salvation is a greater miracle than any miracle in the Bible when God changes our hearts and gives us new life and grants us repentance unto life. When you see someone truly get saved, you will know it. They need to be taught about the ministry. God may be calling them to the ministry. They need to be taught about healing. We prayed for healing today. Our God is a healing God. They need to be taught about sanctification. About God expects us to live a holy life. You don't hear that much anymore. You almost never hear that anymore. Holiness is not the great option. It's not like a buffet line that you go down, well, I want this and I don't want this. No, do you realize that in Ephesians 1 and 4, it says that is God's eternal plan for the church to make us holy in Him. We've got a worldly church today. They need to be taught about the Holy Spirit. The wonderful Holy Spirit. I wasn't raised to believe in the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why it may be a little more precious to me than you. I wasn't raised in it. But when I was born again, and the Spirit of God worked so graciously in my life, it was more wonderful than anything I had ever experienced. The Holy Spirit is our friend. And they need to be taught about the blessed hope, the second coming of our Lord. They need to be taught about the church and its mission. They need to be taught about the final judgment we will come into judgment one day, not like lost people, but there will be an evaluation of our lives at the Bema. When they named him Elijah, they had right belief. Listen, if our belief is not based upon the Word of God, it's not right belief. Preach the Word. One of the things the Lord's dealt with me about over the last year. If, if there's nothing good at co- about COVID, except during the last year or so, the Lord has just hammered into me and just poured into me and just burned into me that our church, we have to be a safe place where people, they can come and they're going to hear the Word of God. They're not going to hear some kind of crazy nonsense, some deluded gospel. We're going to unashamedly and boldly proclaim every word in the Word of God. We're not leaving one thing out. It may offend the whole world. It may offend you and me. But this is God's word and we're committed to preaching it. We have to be a safe place to know that we as the leaders of this church are not living some double kind of life that's going to just wreck people and disappoint them so deeply that they're going to quit God and the church. We strive to live holy and we hold ourselves accountable and we allow others to hold us accountable. Because there's so much at stake. But we have to be a church that's a safe place. Where the Spirit of God can move. With healing and life and miracles. and Where people can find God and find compassion. We're not taking up the causes of the day. We're taking up the cause. You say, what is the cause? The proclamation of the kingdom of God. It's almost like, listen, it's almost like some people are standing on the Titanic and it's got a hole in it and it's going down and they're trying to preserve it, but it's going down and they're trying to preserve it. Do you realize that this world is going down? It's got a hole in it and the only hope is there's another kingdom coming and the only security is to get in Jesus because if you get in Jesus, you're going to get in that kingdom. Peter said this on the Pentecost, Save yourself. From this crooked generation. No one knew it. And even Jesus said this. Not one stone would be upon another. There, came, there comes a time of a point. That somehow kingdoms and societies cross a line. In Noah's day they crossed the line. In Jesus' day they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you're done. And Israel has been done for 2,000 years. And I just ask you this question. And I ask it soberly. And I think it's a relevant question. Has America crossed the line of no return? And I say, maybe. Maybe. The name Elijah. Shout Elijah. We're talking about his home. Elijah... This is a wonderful This is a testimony that's evident. And I'm talking about his mom and dad. his mom and dad gave him the name Elijah. They, they, in other words, it was conspicuous. It was, it, was, it was a bold, vocal, visible testimony that we believe in the one true God. Jehovah is God. Jesus is God. Let me tell you, Church, we cannot hide our testimony. We cannot hide our testimony under a basket. And one of the things we need to teach these young people is this. We're not going along to get along. We have to teach you young men and women, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. If you say Jesus is Lord and you don't go with the trends, you're going to suffer. You need to learn to suffer joyfully. We need to learn to suffer for Jesus Christ is a badge of honor. What a joy is it to suffer for our Lord. We're not ashamed of one syllable of the word of God not one jot, not one tittle we're not trying to be accepted I'm not trying to be accepted by you or by anyone else I have an audience of one and he's the one sitting on the throne of God I'm pleasing him and if I displease the whole world so be it, so be it so be it Jesus is Jehovah God Jesus said this blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. When they persecute you, they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted are they the prophets who were before you. When they named Elijah, Elijah. When they said, your name is Jehovah's God. That's a courageous, conspicuous, continuous testimony. What a, what a mighty mom and dad he had. Let me say to you, if you have a mom and dad that love God and serve God consistently, you have something worth more than all the gold and silver in this world. Because godly mom and dad who are faithful to God's house, faithful to the word of God, faithful to do the the will of God is a rarity. and becoming more rare in our day. Fight for your home. Fight for it. Fight for it. Let me quickly. I'm going to the second thing, and that's the prince. We have more on the prophet, but not time to do that now. Let's, let's talk about the prince. Let's talk about the king. His name is Ahab. The reason Elijah went to Ahab is because Ahab was the leader in the northern kingdom. He was the leader. He was the king. He was the prince. He was the leader, the political leader of the northern kingdom. And then our text in 1 Kings Chapter 17, verse 1, the prophet Elijah goes to Ahab and said, This is what God says. Now I want to I give you a little history lesson and I'll hurry. Let's talk about the northern kingdom. This is where Ahab ruled, the northern kingdom. It was called Israel, but it was, it was, it didn't apply. At one time, Israel applied to the entire nation, but then the nation was split in two when Solomon died. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, but it was also called Samaria. Sometimes they called the northern kingdom Ephraim because of one of its tribes. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and it consisted of two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that went with the Rebom Solomon's kingdom, David's kingdom. The northern kingdom and the kingdom, the, 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 the nation, the newly formed nation. That Ahab was leading at the time was the product of revolt. At the writing of First Kings seventeen, about around in rough numbers, about nineteen about nine hundred BC, about sixty years before, there was a tragic split of the northern and the southern kingdom. It happened right after Solomon, great King Solomon, the great builder. A, listen, a man whom the Lord appeared to him at least twice. Now, you would think if God appeared to someone, the Lord's never appeared to me. I've never even heard his audible voice, but oh, have I heard his voice every day. It was one of the darkest times. In the nation's history, one scholar said it this way about the northern kingdom during the time of Elijah's prophetic ministry, and I quote, he said, it seemed as if Satan had transferred his residence from hell to earth, end quote. That's how bad it was. It really makes it even more special that his mom and dad were faithful in that dark time. The nation was united. The whole nation was only united under three kings. Saul, David, and Solomon. After Solomon's death, the kingdom split. Ten kingdoms went to the north. Two kingdoms stayed in the south. But here's the interesting thing. That if King Solomon had remained faithful to the Lord the kingdom would never have split. I mean, you know, when, when someone's heart begins to turn away from God, nothing good comes about it from it. it listen, it doesn't, to, it doesn't happen overnight. And even the result doesn't happen overnight. Even when you start down the wrong path, the full results of that don't happen overnight. But you can be assured of this. If we sow the wind, we'll reap the whirlwind. If we sow the flesh, we're going to reap destruction. And what happened is... In Solomon's latter years, listen, listen to me. In Solomon's latter years, his heart was turned away from God. He began to indulge, and he became a man indulgent in the lust of his flesh. He he did the dumbest thing that he could do, he started marrying hundreds of wives. Hundreds of wives. Now, I know what, I could just handle one. God bless her so she's out there. Just one, come on, amen. But here's the thing about that. Is that not only did he marry hundreds of wives and concubines. He married them from nations, which God says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't mingle with those nations. And here's what they did, listen to me. They turned his heart. Away from God. This is the northern kingdom. This is how it started. This is how the split started. Here's what it says of Solomon. Solomon went after Ashtoreth and the goddess of the Sidonians and Malcolm, the abomination of the Ammonites. It says, and Solomon built... Here's Solomon, the king, that God appeared to him. Solomon built the high places of Chemosh, of the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. The deterioration of his moral character. Here's what happened. He began to oppress the people. Are you hearing me? He began, his heart turned away from God, and then he began to put heavy burdens on the people. Now, listen to me. Bad morals can't help our nation. There used to be a time, I heard a guy, I heard an old, old man say one time, he said, I was 21 years old before I even heard of anyone getting a divorce. I heard a man say one time, a man that grew up in London, he said there was a time in London that a a woman could walk at any time of the night and feel safe. I'll be honest with you, my daughter, who's helping Missy out here in the children's church, she walked our dog around the street the other day. And Missy comes in with a panic. Peyton's not back. She's been gone too long. She was in a panic. I said, what's what's going on? She left. She went to walk the dog. And and she was in a panic. That's the nation we're living in now. Proverbs says, righteousness exalts a nation, sins, a reproach to any people. Now listen to me. Bad morals in a leader will always eventually lead to bad policies. The policies we're seeing in our own nation are because of the character of these people. And those policies eventually under Solomon begin to bring tyranny over the people and oppression over the people. And I can tell you this, people will only take it so long. And that's what happened in Solomon's day. The oppressed said, we don't, we're not doing it anymore. And then Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam comes on the scene. The wise elders came to Rehoboam and said, Rehoboam, Your father was a great king. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Your father was a great king. He did great things, but he put heavy, heavy yokes on the people. Son, we would advise you to lighten the load of the people. And and, and the scripture says this, the wise counsel of the elders, listen, if you will lighten the load and be compassionate in your leadership and your governance, these people will be loyal to you forever. But in a foolish act, he listens to his contemporaries. Listen to me. He listens to those who don't know anything more than he knows. And those young contemporaries with him said, you go back and tell those people, you think my father was hard on you? You think Solomon was hard on you? My little finger is going to be harder than him. And this is where the split took place. And ten of the tribes under Jeroboam, he led them to the, started a whole other nation, really. The ten kingdoms. You know, what, you know what the younger generation needs to do? They need to know that they don't know it all. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. We, we as whoever we are, if we're, we need to listen to those who've walked longer than we've walked. Now think about it. This revolt of the northern kingdom was doomed for, fa- from, for failure. Even though it was the right thing. It was, it was the, a reaction toward injustice and oppression of government. But it was doomed for failure. Here's the reason it was doomed for failure. It's because they were trying to solve the problem of oppression. But they weren't dealing with the cause of oppression. See, in America we're talking about freedom, freedom, freedom. But we don't want to get rid of the cause of our bondage. The people wanted to escape the consequences of evil while still engaging in the evil. I've met folks like this. Our nation is not free. We're a a nation of slaves. We're enslaved to alcohol. Our nation's enslaved to pornography. We're enslaved to pleasure. We made an idol of pleasure we're enslaved to drugs. We're enslaved to, to promoting ourselves. We're enslaved to debt. We're addicted to pleasure. Hear me. Until we forsake evil, we'll never escape the consequences of evil. Freedom only comes when Jesus Christ frees us. I'll wind this down. I'm not done yet, but I do see the airport in the distance. I see the lights from 10,000 feet. Get your tray tables and put your seat up. (laughs) The northern kingdom had 19 leaders, 19 kings, 19 princes. Every single one of them were ungodly. And many times the next one was more godly than the next one. Ahab was the seventh king. I'll list them quickly. The first one of the northern kingdom was Jeroboam. He started the nation down a sinful path. They never, ever recovered. Here's here's the epitaph on his life. It's 25 times... In Scripture, this is what it says of Jeroboam. He made Israel to sin 25 times. He's in hell today. And his epitaph is, he made Israel to sin. I won't go into the golden calf. I won't go into some of this. Then that followed him was a guy named Nadab. He reigned for two years. Here's what it says of him. He walked in the way of his father and in his sin, by which he made Israel to sin. A man by the name of Basar, Basa, assassinated him, and then he took the throne. Besa reigned 24 years. He killed every one of Jeroboam's house that could have taken the throne back. Now here's his legacy. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam and in, in sin by which he made Israel to sin. Following him was a guy named Elah, or Ella. And Ella was, was Bassa's son. He reigned only two years. And the reason he reigned over two years is because he was a drunkard. He had a problem with drink, and in a drunken stupor, someone assassinated him. 1 Kings 16 9 and 10. A guy named Zimri. Zimri assassinated the king. Zimri reigned all of seven days. Seven days. And in those seven days, he had all of Basah's family killed. Zimri's conduct was so abhorrent to the people, even to those wicked people, it was so abhorrent. A gentleman named Amri, a top military leader, rose up when Zimri saw that there was no hope for him he went to his house and he committed suicide by burning the house down on him. How would you like to have this as your leaders? And then there was Amri. Who's Amri? Amri is Ab- Ahab's dad, it's his father. He reigned 12 years. For the first four years, only part of the kingdom, because it was another upstart named Tibni who tried to reign. He died, and then finally, Ahab's father. Um, Amri reigned over the entire northern kingdom. He was an incredibly ungodly man. Here's what it says. He did worse than all that were before him. 1 Kings 16, 25. Then Ahab enters the scene. Isn't it any wonder that Ahab was so ungodly? He had no example. Isn't it any wonder that the boys and girls in our nation, many of these boys and girls wouldn't know John 3.16 from the John. They wouldn't know how to pray. They don't know what God wants. We have a confused nation of young people because they've had these kind of dads and these kinds of leaders. And Ahab enters on the scene and he became more wicked than any of them. He, he married Jezebel, filled the nation with Baal worship. He killed the prophets, persecuted the followers of Jehovah. Here's the lessons today I close. The lessons, and I jotted these down, the lessons from the prophet and the prince. Here it is. Number one, a, nation is almost, a, na- a sinful nation is almost impossible to turn around. Once degeneration begins, it's almost impossible to reverse without a miracle from God. You say, really? Take an apple. You ever seen a brown apple? You ever reversed it? No. It's irreversible. Degeneration without a miracle is irreversible. Our nation's on a path that I don't know that it can come back from. I think we could see revival in pockets. Number two. The moral condition of the nation's leaders will determine either the blessings or the curses on the nation. That's right. Number three, it takes courage to confront sin on behalf of the Lord. It takes courage to stand up for what's right. Number five, or number four, the truly righteous are almost always in the minority. Constantly you hear about the remnant in the Old Testament. That was the small group of faithful believers. Number five, success must be understood as obedience to the Lord. Nothing else. Elijah fearlessly obeyed the Lord, and yet the nation never recovered. Was he successful? Yes, he obeyed the Lord. Assyria came in. The nation never came back. Lastly, like Elijah's parents, we can live for the Lord. No matter how dark our day is, yes, we can. and no matter how sinful right. our world can become, we can raise up godly seed. Our young people can be holy and righteous in the sight of the Lord. I want you to stand. Let's. If I could just have a piano player, quickly. I want us to pray for our own families, and I want us to pray for our... Our nation. Just begin to pray for your family as Stephanie begins to play. Just begin to pray. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your home. Pray for your heart. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. I want you to pray. Would you please pray right now? You pray. You pray for them. No one can pray as good as you can for your family. Begin to pray for the spiritual atmosphere of your home. pray. Are you obeying are you obeying the Lord in your home? Are you faithful? Are you a worshiper? Do you read the scriptures? Are there things you're watching that displease the Lord? Are there objects at home and things, magazines and things that would displease the Holy Spirit? Begin to repent right now. Begin to ask the Lord to cleanse you. He will abundantly pardon. He is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. Jesus, bless our homes. Bless our homes. Make us a righteous and a holy people, oh God. Make us righteous in your sight, oh God. Make us true in your sight, oh God. Make us righteous in your sight, God. Help us to be what you want us to be. Salt and light in a dark world. Help us, God, to be lights in the darkness. And help us to call people out of the darkness. Those that are lost and undone. To come to the light of your salvation, oh God. Hallelujah. And now I want us to pray for our nation and its leaders. This is what we're called. We're mandated to do this from Scripture. Could we pray? We pray for President Biden. We pray for his life. We pray, God, that you would speak to him. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to his heart and life. Speak to him, Lord, on some of the policies that are hurting boys and girls. We pray that you. we know the heart of our leaders are in your hands. We cry out for our Senate. We cry out for our Congress. We cry out for the highest leaders in this land that, that, are, that have the power to turn the nation, whether it's ever they will. We pray, God, for righteous policies. We pray for freedom. We pray for freedom, O oh God. Forgive our sins in this nation. And Lord, just as Elijah spoke to the nation, May the, may the true church rise up and speak the truth to the nation. To proclaim the gospel to the nation. We pray for many souls to be saved. We pray for the outpouring of your spirit. Lord, we pray for revival in this land. We pray that you would call a remnant out. Call a fearless army out. Call a fearless group of people that are the Lord's soldiers they love, they fight with prayer, they fight with the Word of God, they fight with the gifts of the Spirit and the armor of God. Raise up a mighty church, Lord. Hallelujah. Now just lift your hands and say, Lord, use me. Use me. Use me, Lord. Use me. Use me, Lord. Jesus, use me. hanamashaka Use me, Lord. Use me, Jesus. As our heads are bowed just one more time, and I'm I'm about to dismiss you. I'm going to go to our leadership meeting in just a moment. I just want to say one more thing that I felt really just impressed. I don't know who I'm speaking with in this room, but The Lord sent a prophet to speak to Jeroboam. He spoke against the the altar, and the altar split in two. Jeroboam pointed to the prophet and said, arrest him. And Jeroboam's hand withered and just stiffened. And God, he cried out to the prophet, said, pray to the Lord that he restore me. He did pray for him. And the Lord restored it. The Lord restored it out of mercy. You thought, you think that would have changed your bum. It didn't. It didn't. He hardened his heart. So I say all that to say this. You that are listening to me today, young and old, and whoever this is for, don't walk out of this room and just check this off as just another message. Don't harden your heart toward this message. Yield to the Lord. Yield to Him. Repent of your sin. Repent of your secret sin. Repent of hardness. Repent of apathy and neglect. Repent and turn to the Lord. And He will abundantly pardon and will bring you into a freedom and a joy in His presence like you've never known before. But guard your heart. Don't let your heart be hardened. As you leave this room today, meditate on this. Meditate on this. So, Father, I ask your blessing on your family, this church family. I ask for your mercy and your grace to be theirs today. I ask you to pour out your goodness upon them. Lord, we want to take this with us. And, Lord, I pray that as Elijah's mom and dad raised a godly young man, that we would raise godly young men and women as our sons and daughters and grandsons and daughters that in the name of Jesus. Now church, I'm going to dismiss you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said